Hey, Friday Night Lights fans. It's Not Only Football, Friday Night Lights and Beyond is an episode-by-episode discussion of the hit TV series Friday Night Lights, hosted by yours truly, Scott Porter, who played Jason Street on the show, and my two wonderful co-hosts, me, Zach Guilford, a.k.a. Matt Saracen, and me, Mae Whitman, a.k.a. someone who wasn't on the show but really, really loves it a lot. We will also bring on some special guests, answer your questions, and tell you about what's going on in our lives today. It's not only football. Friday Night Lights and Beyond is available now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose! Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you all being here. And uh, do check out some of the other stuff we are doing. Of course, Adam and Drew is always there. I know the Corolla faithful are lurking around the Corolla platforms. But uh, head over to drdrew.com. You might like, uh, or your mom's house, where you might like Dr. Drew After Dark, which is sort of a new incarnation of Loveline. And and then we are doing these very interesting streaming shows. It's generally Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 3 o'clock. And just been uh, digging into the terror and fear uh, in this pandemic we've just been through and why why that happened, who did it, and what about people who had alternative voices. And crazy enough, most of those people ended up being uh, that I've found and interviewed and have been very interesting. I've learned a little something from each of them. But mostly it's people of the highest academic and clinical standing, like nobody higher. And these are the people that they chose to silence and just not allow them to just raise their hand and go, hey, I'm not sure we're doing the right thing here. No, death, death to you. You're a grandmother killer, which was a bizarre and never before undertaken sort of policy and policing of our public health. But check that out for that. Today, we're switching gears a little bit. I'm going to speak to Kai Furneaux. Her book is Survive, the All-in-One Guide to Staying Alive in Extreme Conditions. Uh, Other book is When the Grid Fails, Easy Action Steps When Facing Urban and Natural Disasters. Her Instagram is at Kai Furneaux, K-Y-F-U-R-N-E-A-U-X. It's a French spelling. Website is kaifurneaux.com. Uh, I'm going to have her tell her story. She's done a lot of stuff. Obviously, survivalist is part of it. Stunt work is part of it. Kai, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So how did you – my first question was, and I didn't find it in some of your material, was, and, and by the way, I want to remind everyone that she's on Naked and Afraid and it, the, the cold addiction, <laughs> if I understand right, and I've got some questions about that. Uh, but how did this all happen to you? How did you get into all this? I mean, I was always a very active kid. I grew up in the outback of South Australia. There's not a lot to do uh, there at all. I mean, we had two TV channels, so it wasn't one of those TV generations, that's for sure. And as soon as you stepped out your front door, you were basically in the great outdoors. So, you know, I, I grew up heading off in one direction. My parents would follow the dust to give me some food and I had to be back at dinner. So it was a, a wonderful free childhood. Um, eventually, I had a horse, so I would, um, you know, go out riding longer and longer and it was a, a very free wild existence it, for sure. Uh, what was the movie i forget what the movie was about the alcoholic father and the young daughter <laughs> out on the prairie was it I, hannah yeah i don't know something like that. i just imagine that's those scenes in my head watching you ride off into the brush uh but amazing that's amazing and what what part of mm-hmm. australia were you in um, in the north of South Australia, so it's technically the outback. Um, yeah. you, when you think of the red, vast 
dusty dirt plains it's sort of that's where I grew up but my uh, parents were both teachers not neither of them were alcoholics well, no so. no I, I, the, the alcoholic part was just the scene that I was seeing it was like Jude <laughs> yeah. Law or something somebody like that playing the alcoholic dad and this daughter sort of uh, you know making do out in the outback and having fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean it certainly was a little bit like that but um, I went to the city to finish my schooling I was doing a bachelor of business management and then where probably the big in Sydney um, or in Melbourne uh, in Adelaide Adelaide. Adelaide. That's, yeah. a, that's a city I don't think about, but yes, that's another city yeah. in Australia. <laughs> Most people don't. Yeah. It's a, a, quite a small capital city, but uh, it's the capital of South Australia. And then I had a major car accident at 19 and oh my. broke a yeah, and I broke a bone in my back and Ooh. was told I, I would never be physically active again. So you get this amazing, you know, free childhood very much in the outdoors and then this restrictive sort of limiting belief passed on by a doctor. And um, I think that was when everything sort of changed for me. I decided I didn't want to ever be inside again. I didn't want to be definitely lying on my back and I didn't want to be inactive for the rest of my life. It just out of curiosity, and this is just my own curiosity, one of the things that sometimes happens when we have these extreme experiences in childhood, we, we, we make a decision like that, like this will never happen to me again, and we end up putting ourselves in situations that cause it to happen again. I wonder if you had any <laughs> future injuries. You know what I mean? It's just that's an uncanny thing that people have, have to do. Like, I'm never going to get injured again, except for my femur <laughs> and my radius and my cervical spine. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I did become a stunt woman. Right. So. That's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm guessing. It's so interesting I mean, to me. You know, Family Guy, the cartoon, point, had this vividly for me. And I was like, I wonder if Seth MacFarlane knew what he was doing. But Brian, the dog, has a near-death experience. And she so goes out like, I'm going to experience life. I'm going to do everything in the world and has another near-death experience. And I thought, <laughs> that's what we do as people. That That's the weird thing. I mean, I think we kind of we kind of decide that, you know, we really do. I mean, for me personally, it was like, really? You're going to tell me I can do nothing? Well, I am going to do everything. Yeah, yeah I like that. No, I don't dislike that feature we have. I like it. But it's, it's uncanny how much it... It brings upon us the very thing that we swear off of. So, but anyway, yeah. that, that's that. Um, so, tell me about I, I. Okay, so I was in a sort of survival program that Gary. Gary, when are we? When are we speaking here, Kai and I? What date, approximately? We in December here? Mm, probably yeah. early December. In a couple of weeks, you're going to see a two-hour special on January fourth, where I'm on a Fox show. It's essentially a survival show. We we and fifteen I and fifteen others train as. Um, Navy, essentially Navy SEAL or Special Forces recruits and ha have our asses handed to us, I assure you. But uh, still, you, I, I will, I will, I'm not allowed to talk about it till parts air, but I will just say you will be astonished how tough some of my friends are from this show. And especially, this, um, especially the women. Is it what? Is this... A U.S. version of SAS. Correct. Because correct. Okay. So, so this, is a, this, a big, this is a yeah. big hit in Australia and, and the U.K. And they brought it over here and I was a part of it. And amazing. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. And to, I, think, I think your last team of four trainers or staff, as we call them, were our four. Uh, so same right. one. Same, okay. What, air, what yeah. just aired is what we're going to get. So if you notice, that's all in the Wadi Rum Desert of Jordan, right? And so for us, heat was the main thing, okay? And if – I can't tell you what happened to me, but I will soon enough be talking about it in great detail. But had I known more 
There's a lot of focus when people go out. This is the way I want to frame this. There's a lot of focus when people go out in these extreme um, physical stressors, stressful physical conditions, a lot of emphasis on cardiovascular status and VO2 and all these sort of things about, you know, training your body to be able to withstand sustained prolonged exercise and and stress. Um, I had no problem with that. (laughs) There's other things I should have been thinking of. And talk to me about cold and heat and what people should think about. uh, Start me with heat. Wow. I mean... Obviously, dehydration is the first thing that comes to mind with both cold, I mean, both cold and heat. You oh, know, you are losing, I yeah, you're losing a lot more water in the cold than you realize just with your with your breathing um, and you're shivering. But um, I so, mean, so so then you're realizing. <laughs> so then you're realizing is to me the key ingredient here. So given that you really don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is sort of I I, I ended up learning a little more about uh, dehydration and other things with heat um, that I started reading about because I realized that it's, is it not the case that once you are dehydrated, it's too late? <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can't get it back? You, That's you, you, the main thing. Yeah. yeah. Once you're, once you're thirsty, you're dehydrated. So people don't realize that because quite often they use thirst as an indicator to drink, but you actually have to drink before you're thirsty in order to prevent this dehydration from happening. And it's pretty hard to get it back orally if you're in that state. If you've gotten so depleted that you're having symptoms of whatever type, you're, you're in trouble. Well, I mean, a lot of people do die in survival scenarios with water still in their water bottle because they're trying to save yes. their water yes. to to when they're really thirsty. But, you know, one of the classic symptoms of dehydration is confusion. Yeah. So, you know, you start to become confused and then drinking doesn't become a priority. And, you know, I mean, the other tricky thing is it used to be to, you used to be told to sip slowly um, your water, but unless you're drinking 250 milligrams of water, you're not hydrating your organs. You're just really hydrating sort of your mouth and a few cell, cells, but it's not really doing what you need to do. So a big big myth was people like save it and sip it, but if you've got it, you have to chug at least 250 mils to make a difference. So, so really, and, and as you get older, I'm 64 years old, it, it's, it gets even more challenging, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it, everything gets more challenging yes, yes. when you're older, but I haven't yes. heard that dehydration affects you more. Well, but, I think, but we know that yeah. but the heat affects older people more. I mean, I don't, I can't tell you yeah. how many times I've been, I've had to run, go help an 80 year old who suddenly is unconscious sitting out in the sun at a theater or something. It's like it, oh, it sneaks up fast on people that are older. And that's something a little different. That's heat per se. Can you talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about that? And I mean, what what you can do in survival scenarios is far different than what you're going to be able to do when you're on a TV show like SAS. You know, what I mean, there you know there should have been some monitoring of your hydration and condition from um, from your superiors in those kind of situations. But a lot of people do end up in those heat waves um, when your electricity goes because they're unable to cool themselves. Well, it's SAS, right? And so, and, and again, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I am not saying what happened to me because, because it's pretty complicated what happened to me, but, but um, the one challenge was that they made an issue of hydration and water and insisted that our canteens be full at all times. And if they weren't topped off, they'd punish the whole group. So yeah. my thing was, I was drinking a lot of water, 
and my canteen was never topped off. So when they would come to me and say, are you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I didn't want them to punish the group because my canteens were empty. You know, <laughs> right. so, so you get in this weird situation where you can't keep hydrated. And then by the same token, we had a camel pack, but our rucks, these backpacks, had to be above 35 pounds at all time. And if you drank the water down, you'd be at 32 pounds <laughs> and the group would get punished again. And I, no right. one wanted to be responsible for the group getting punished. So it's a weird catch-22 that that show sort of puts you in. But what about uh, the thing I worried about for everybody in the heat? And I want to talk about cold in a second because actually I think when I think about the heat and how challenging that was – The whole time I was thinking, thank God this isn't cold, because I don't think I would have lasted five minutes in the cold. But but you can get brain swelling from heat stroke, and that confusion from heat stroke is another symptom, and that has like a thirty percent fatality rate, right? And then you start to get nauseous and you start to vomit. So then you're looking at you're now expelling more liquids, and and your body is just really going into this shut and shut down meltdown. I cannot wait to talk to you about what happened to me. I can't wait. We're we're gonna have to have a long conversation about (laughs) because it was very interesting to me and um, and very very serious too. You know, like. I mean, one of the things I'm always looking for when I'm running group sessions is those signs and symptoms, especially coming from Australia. You know, like people start to get a bit of a flushed face. I mean, that's a real symptom. So I'm always looking at people's faces and I'm I'm watching how you're walking because another sign of dehydration there is like you start to stumble with your, you know, you, you become less physically able and all of these things are then just like your survival rate is just heading down really, really quickly once you start to go down. So cold uh i i watched the sas show that prepared uh, that played in britain with the in the cold where they were jumping into essentially frozen streams and swimming for a while and i thought i would i i at, at this particular age i'm i'm at if i were 20 you'd be like yeah i got it no problem i'd get through it my age i've noticed i can barely dive in the ocean without you know i used to be a lifeguard in the ocean i would dive in i wouldn't even think about it. i wouldn't even feel anything now i feel it and think i don't know i'm not sure i can tolerate this which is so weird and astonishing to me it's just weird but there right. it is and so cold is to me the scarier part so talk to me about that well, cold for me was the scarier part as well. I mean, I'm Australian. I come from Australia, obviously. I'm at this heat level, which is usually between like 12 degrees Celsius, which isn't very cold. And, and, and you were and, naked and afraid in cold, right? Yes. Yeah, oh so I I was working on my cousin's sheep station, helping him out for a sheep second. Sheep station? And I went, Sheep station? What is it? You say that like we have those in our neighborhood. What's a sheep station? Um, It's a large patch of land that has sheep on it. Okay, fair (laughs) enough, fair enough. Yeah, so um, he sometimes needs help gathering them in from the hills and things. So I go over and get to ride the motorbike and bring the sheep in. It's a lot of fun. But it was was about over 100 degrees Fahrenheit when I left there, and I went to minus 19 Fahrenheit straight away for for Naked and Afraid. And I am... I know sort of the the Wim Hof method is sort of one of those cliche things that a lot of people are doing right now, but it really does work. And I've been doing cold plunges both for my mental health, but also much because of what you're saying. Like I started to have my activities restricted because my body started reacting to the cold too much. So, um, you know, I mean, I would cold plunge most days and it is becomes a real mental thing, you know, like you are able to overcome the mental challenges of being cold because quite often it's just 
the fear factor that comes in when you start to get cold then makes you panic and then you become unable to do all the things you need to do to get yourself warm again. So, I mean, that was the main thing with the frozen edition was I just had to reassure myself that eventually I'd be warm and ignore all of the physiological stuff that was going on. It was just crazy how powerful the mind is when it comes to those things. And, and there is, you know, a component also to plunging yourself in cold water when you don't really want to. And I would argue that, again, it, it, it is more impactful as you get older. And so it's even overcoming a higher barrier to throw yourself in there. 100%. And you begin to crave it like coffee in the morning, you know, yeah. like it's that, yeah. that start where you've achieved something in the day. Because, I mean, I'm not sure that I ever really go like, yeah, I'm going to get in here. This is going to be amazing. Like it's just this real mental barrier to overcome. And, I mean, the main thing I keep telling myself in really cold scenarios is I will be warm again. You know, like I I, I have to fight that um that mental fear that we all innately have of freezing to death. And, I mean, I um, there were days when my feet on frozen, my legs and feet were so solidly cold and you would start to panic. And if you panic, then you're unable to continue to mentally do the things that you need to do to get warm. But we always, I'd, I'd hear that voice in my head going, oh, my gosh, what if you don't get warm again? Oh, my gosh. And then I would just be like, calm down, and then I would just do the things I needed to do to get warm. So it was it was a very extreme challenge, but I think mentally because I'd been doing these cold plunges, I was able to get through it. Talk a little bit about the yeah, – I know it's a little bit controversial, but the perceived benefits of the cold plunges. Well, I mean – there's a whole lot of studies being done about anxiety and mental health issues and how depression can be can be helped by doing these cold plunges every day. Uh, for me, being a stunt woman for 16 years, um, I don't get arthritis. And part of that is the anti-inflammatory properties of getting in this cold water for three to five minutes every day. You know, I mean, I should be wrecked. I have <laughs> since the back injury. I have thrown myself into many situations. And at, at my age, I feel like I should be getting out of bed creaking and, and, and groaning. But um, if I don't cold plunge often, I do get arthritis. And if I do cold plunge, I just don't. So, you know, I'm not sure if that's science, but it certainly works for me. And, and there's, there's this whole phenomenon, well, this theoretical frame called hormesis, which is sort of an idea that it may boost cardiovascular and immunological immunological health which kind of makes sense to me. I mean, the, the body needs a shock once in a while. I mean, that's why vigorous exercise works too. I, I was talking to Peter Atia a, a couple of days ago, and he's a very, he was a fine surgeon, and now he's a fine scientist that really works on longevity. And I was just sort of casually talking to him, and I said, you know, what about metformin? What about this? And he goes, vigorous exercise, vigorous exercise. That's the one. And I went, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense for me. Perfect sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I, I started realizing I was able to ignore the cold better. You know what I mean? We're not, chances are, unless you're in a really extreme sort of avalanche, backcountry, minus degrees scenario, you're not going to die from the cold, um, even though you might feel that way. And I mean, same with food you're not going to die for 21 days without food but after day one we start to panic because we feel hungry so yeah. a lot of these are just um mental urges that we've adjusted our, our body and mind to by being in a very sort of soft <laughs> easy yeah. world yeah. But i found over the years of doing wim hof 
like suddenly I'll be like, oh my gosh, this really is cold, isn't it? You know, like, but your ability to mentally shut out the cold becomes greater. So it's been amazing. When you say Wim Hof, are you talking about the breathing and the cold? What 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 are you referring to? And what is what do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I did start with the breathing and I do find that the breathing does help. But I mean, breathing helps on so many levels, mentally, physically, um, to begin with, just being conscious of your breath. You know, there's a lot of studies about the meditation of it. And I'm not very good at meditating. You know, everyone's Me always like, you've Me got neither. to meditate. No, I, I'm I, like, <laughs> I, I, 20% of people get worse with, with uh, mindfulness. This, this, yeah. is a, this is a little known dirty secret about mindfulness. Mindfulness works beautifully for 80% of the people, but 20% get worse. And those in the 80% bracket uh, merely say it's a phase you have to get through. And if you get through it, it'll start working for you. That is not born. It's not born out in the literature. It's not born out. I'm like you. I can, I can meditate when I'm doing things. Like lifting weights. Yeah, I I I go into some sort of definitely into some sort of alpha beta something, and it's Mm -hmm. no problem for me when I'm doing stuff. And by the way, kind of if I'm doing two things, especially I can kind of slip into it more easily. And yeah. uh, and that's you know that's fine for me. I don't have that's, to do, you know. You know, rock climbing. You know, to me, to me, meditation is being one hundred percent in the yeah. moment. So, yeah. So when you're there and you're rock climbing, and all you're focusing in on is your yeah. breath and what you're holding on to, that's meditation. For right. Me. The so, so the same people that make so much mindfulness also make a lot of flow, and that and flow is what you're talking about. And flow is something that you and I meditate in and they disparage mm-hmm. that i feel, always feel diminished yeah. by the by the mindfulness group i'm like no this is my version it works fine it's good yeah so i think with the wim hof breathing it's good for me because it's not like like a long time there you just do sort of three lots of 10 breaths and and then um sort of like charge your body a bit but i don't i don't do that every day for me the cold plunge is definitely the the time and that's what the active doing mindfulness thing is like you're in there and in order to stop like the convulsions you sort of have to just breathe through it and you know be in a different place in your head to get through those three minutes in the cold. So, I mean, I I don't think that the breathing's necessary, but maybe to begin with, it definitely helps. You just get in this frame of mind that you're about to shock your body and you're doing it for all the good reasons. And, and to, if people are interested in Wim Hof, he has some good YouTube videos out there that with some guided beginner breathing techniques that I think are great. I, I really like them. It's just, and he's so funny. He's like, okay, guys, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Ready? He's so motivational. Uh, he's, yeah. So talk to me about the book. What? Why should I get this book and should I have it on hand in my home or my car or all the above? Survive. Okay. So, I mean, I wrote this book because with the abundance of survival shows that we have on television out, and, you know, the accessibility to YouTube and everything, we're getting a lot of misinformation. You know, if somebody tells you something about a survival scenario and they say it in an assertive enough voice and you believe they have the credentials to match, then you are going to end up believing them and... Um, I mean, I saw a YouTube video of four-wheel drive dude. He's telling you how to survive in the desert and everything he's doing is wrong. And in the end, it was a very popular channel, millions of viewers, and all I was thinking was these people are going to die. You know, like he even said that you can last six days in the desert without water. Oh, no. And, you know, and so, right, you've got somebody following his YouTube channel, gets stuck in the desert, doesn't drink because they've got six days and they're dead you know like you've got 
you've got less than one as you have experienced now we say three days without water but I'm always saying look if you're in hot conditions it can, you can die in less than a day so what I really wanted to do was bring bring stuff that I have physically tested like everything in that book all the information I've put my body and life on the line to test to make sure that it works so I'm not going to tell you something that I've heard from somebody else because that's the misinformation channel as well like these are people handing down information that they've been told they've misunderstood it's come out as fact and it's just completely wrong um so that was one of the reasons and the other reason is I don't think survival is an elitist game you know like a lot of those um old survival guides uh, are really written as if you have to be strong and you have to have all this equipment on you in order to survive and anybody can survive with the right mindset you know so throughout the book I'm saying this works but I also encourage you to try what works best for you always look at getting creative problem solving know that the best asset out there is your mind and um, I mean it not only has stuff for people going into the outdoors, there's stuff about natural disasters. And we all know these things are happening more and more often these days, you know, more hurricanes, more floods, Australia's more fires. Um, and I don't want people to be scared. You know, it's not a prepper book per se. I'm not saying grab all the water and all the food and have it in your basement. I'm just saying if you're prepared when one of these scenario hits, then you're going to be more proactive, more likely to get out of the scenario with your friends and family safe and um, and and just more likely to come out better in the end anyway. So even if it's just a small bag with your vital possessions to get you out the door in five minutes, then this is what we need to look at. And, and again, urban survival, you know, there's a whole section on when, I mean, I'm not so much when the whole grid crashes and we become zombies, but you know, it doesn't take much for the electricity like electricity to go down these days and people think, oh, my gosh, my iPhone. And I'm like, your toilet's going to stop working, you know. <laughs> like, let's look right. at health hygiene. Your water is going to stop being pumped into your house. So fill that bathtub up immediately and you've got enough water to last 10 days for an average family. So, so, so I, I had a little experience with that. One, I was in – remember there was a great northeast – blackout here in the north north america i went yeah, to canada yeah. and the, i was in canada at the time and i was in a hotel on the ninth floor that's wow. a pump water comes mm -hmm. it has to be pumped up so you have no water no elevator no um the the do door locks don't work because that's all electronic mm -hmm. i mean everything goes out but the water is the main thing that you notice uh, first off yeah. and me and daryl hammond who was doing this thing with me this film uh, ended up walking around the streets of Toronto looking for water for hours, and you couldn't find water, but you could find alcohol. And a, a friend of mine, a friend of mine who got stuck in the uh, the Great Cabo Hurricane of two years ago, they had only alcohol, and that's what they all drank for like three days, and everyone was wasted the whole time. But they, but they, I'm really they, dehydrated. But right, but they, they, the um, the bathtub got drunk very quickly. It didn't, didn't last very long, so they switched to alcohol and then got out of there finally. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Working with a therapist can get you closer to the best version of you. Uh, when you're empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything else in life. I, of course, have been in therapy many years of my, li my life, and I'm an advocate. Everybody in my family gets therapy, and there's no longer any excuse. Look, you people 
complain about stigma or embarrassment of running into somebody, you do not have that excuse any longer. You take care of your body. Why would you not take care of your brain? If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. Convenient, flexible, affordable, entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional cost. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash Drew and get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash D-R-E-W. Crazy. Right, and, and then you're talking like heat and cold because yeah. quite often the trigger events for these are extreme heat or extreme cold. Mm. So, I mean, your four survival needs, you know, food, fire, water, shelter – still are relevant when you're in your home. So yep. you have to start looking at how am I going to cool myself down when I don't have the luxury of an air conditioner or fan. And um, so so the book is full of ideas about that. Um, it also looks at outdoor pursuits. I, I, I sort of talk more in depth about um, hiking, boating, hunting, and then backcountry. Uh, just sort of how you can best prepare for those sort of outdoor pursuits. Um, I look at wilderness first aid. It's a big thing that we don't don't look at, um, which is absolutely vital. Like a lot of people don't even carry a first aid kit out there. So just what can you do to improvise in an outdoor scenario? And I think that, I mean, I know there's a section on outdoors and kids. You know, it's important that we get our kids outdoors now more than ever, but how do we get them excited? Well, that's the conversation I want to have with you in just a second. But I, before I... I want to digress for a second. I've often thought that uh, the tourniquet is not properly emphasized in outdoor and first aid. I mean, because yeah. you can really, I mean, you better know what a tourniquet is and how tight to hold it and how to twist it down if you need it, if there's anything close to a significant bleed. And I, I've never seen anybody really talk about that. Well, what happened was people were using tourniquet in suburban survival scenarios. So... And personally, for me, um, a tourniquet, you shouldn't be applying one unless you're only doing it for um, a limited time. Because people were, people were chucking tourniquets on limbs that were just bleeding, not bleeding out. Oh. And so um, people were losing their limbs because yeah. by the time they get to hospital, that limb's died because someone's put a tourniquet on for the wrong reason. So they completely took tourniquets out of um, teaching in first aid scenarios. Oh, well, that's interesting how I noticed that Ooh. because I, I yeah. people have to kind of know the difference between a venous bleed and an arterial bleed or a massive venous bleed too. I mean, both situations you'd want to kind of stop the bleed <laughs> number one a hundred percent and you know there's all sorts of steps that you have to put in place like once you've applied the tourniquet you need to make note of what time it went on um and so that the hospital can understand what's going on with that yeah. limb because very very quickly that limb begins to die without blood so in wilderness first aid scenarios obviously like some like a massive trauma especially if you've got a hunting accident yeah. or yeah. you know bet we've seen an increase in bear attacks things like that when you're looking at if I don't put this on, this right. person is going to die, and they die in minutes. Yes. Like it's a very, very quick yes. death. Yes, so. and, and to be fair, mm. uh, you know when we do orthopedic surgeries on, say, upper extremity, you you put a tourniquet on for a few hours, and the limb is fine. You know, it's it's right. It's it's just you got to not keep it on for a long time. You can you can get probably three hours out of it and be okay. Not five yeah. hours, not seven hours. So. Yeah. 
So when it comes down, you know, this is the thing I encourage in my book is this active problem solving because I'm not there with you mm. and nothing works in every scenario. So this is what you're looking at is people, these survival books are saying, this is what you do when this happens. And I'm like, hey, look, I'm not there. Any millions of numbers of scenarios could be happening to you. This is how you work through it, which is, is what does make this book different. But that's the same with the tourniquet. You know what? I'm not there with you. If that person's going to die, if you don't put a tourniquet on in minutes, put the tourniquet on. Right. They are going to thank you later. You know, they might lose their limb, but they're not going to lose their life. And right. then, as you say, people don't know how tight to put this thing. You right. have to be cutting off all the circulation. Yeah, it's got to be very tight. That's, mm. the, that's the thing that bothers me. The, 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 you know, you really, to do it right, you have to have something, cloth, something. And then you mm. one of the ways to do it is to tie a stick into it and twist the stick yeah. around, and and <laughs> yeah. that's and that's how tight it has to be. I mean, it's got to be yeah. that tight. But let let's go back to the kids because that's where, where mm. I want to finish this conversation, and um, and I want to have this conversation in public because I think it'd be interesting with you because people have been uh, swirling around me saying Kai and Drew ought to do some sort of survival show for kids, <laughs> and so let's talk about what that would look like. Because I'm not even sure what age we should be focusing on. When you now, when you mentioned kids a few moments ago, what age were you thinking? I mean, I have been getting my niece out in the outdoors since she's two, and I think that there's, you know, really important life skills that kids can learn at any age. Um, you but know, who I mean, has the, but who has the need right now? I feel like there's yeah, sort of there's, okay, our teens. I, okay, I feel like teens, but I also feel like the smack dab middle of the millennial group too, the ones that are so victim oriented and so so focused on things that certainly don't affect survival, <laughs> at least right. not directly. Uh, I feel yeah. like I feel like those are the two groups, like a twenty eight year old and a sixteen year old. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And what what we're seeing now with these kids of of that sort of age group is they've never had to face fears. Adver adversity. Yeah, yeah, Real fears, yeah. resilience, challenges, and and we've really in in this society where we've been protecting them yeah. from a lot of stuff. What's ended up happening is they don't know how to face their fears. They don't know how to work through the process. So when something gets hard, they go to, "Is that's triggering me? I quit." You know, like, and the amount of things that end up triggering them because they're not sure what this emotion is that's coming at them, but it just doesn't feel nice. But the interesting thing is, like, if you get past that emotion, that's where the growth occurs, and that's Agreed. where the the amazing life and and the adventure and and all of those sort of things begins to happen. So I think that we're seeing this really interesting generation of people that probably need to be outdoors more than anything, like. They don't try things because they don't believe in themselves. And you take someone like that into the outdoors for half a day. I mean, 10 days is ideal. Seven days is good. But, you know, it doesn't take much time in the outdoors. The lessons come swiftly. You get to change. <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you're, you're yeah, saying yes, do. that yes, SAS. They do. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you get to try new behaviors really quickly in the same scenario and you get to find out what works for you. Like it's the benefits of it are amazing. And of course, there's all these incredible studies coming out at the moment that that prove that stepping into the outdoors lowers your cortisol, it low, you know, like it, it allows you to breathe. It, it reduces stresses just by seeing a tree. Like, so, well, like I mean, let's take 28 year olds just for sake of uh, 
developing a program. What would mm-hmm. we have them do? I mean, I think the interesting thing for me is having that age group determine, like distinguish between their wants and needs. So, I mean, I think you would have to take everything away from them except for what they absolutely need. I mean, that in itself is a shock to people. A, to see what they can survive without, but B, to take away the things. I mean, technology is crazy. We are addicted to it. Like I see people going into naked and afraid challenges and they're almost shaking as they're turning that phone off to put it down, you know, to, to just be able to get them away from that. And you see them in the outdoors and they keep reaching for this thing that's no longer there. But, you know, it's like breaking the habit of this need for technology is is a first thing. And then giving them the space to let let them think about stuff but also have consequences. You know, like nobody's behaviour has consequences anymore. Like what? And what would the consequence be? Like how would we frame if, that? Like if you don't. I don't know. I mean, if you make them do a challenge in order to get food, if they want, don't want to do that challenge, they don't eat, ah. you know, and, and that's a real shock for someone, mm. you know, like, no, but you're going to give me the food anyway because I tried, you know, like I participated. It's like, no, you know, like these are the consequences and if you don't hike the distance to your camp, you're not going to have a sleeping bag and if, you know, I mean, these sort of things are real motivators for people to start to change their behaviour when the consequence is being uncomfortable for a night or being scared for a night and um, that's that you know getting people out of this com- state of comfort is where the learning about themselves occurs and and the fascinating thing for me is like people might be saying to me I hate you and this is really sucks yeah. and then three days later they're crying and they don't want to leave me because they found this amazing part of themselves that they never believed was possible yeah, it's very similar to the SAS experience too. Except, mm. you know, there everybody is sort of signed up to be stressed, <laughs> to be to be as right. put put on, you know, as far as we could possibly go. But you don't really realize how far that is until you uh, get into it. But uh, Gary, um, I I actually do an interview with one of my staff. Uh, who uh, do we have that show? What number show that is? If people want to go back and get more about. Uh, my, my, and I'm blanking on his name for some reason too. It's uh, can you help me, Gary? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't want to screw it up either. Uh, Remy. Yeah, Remy. Remy Adela K. Adela K. Adela K. Remy. Oh, so yeah. I, I just blocked. That's the aging part of me too. Uh, word finding, <laughs> name finding. So Remy Adela K. I interviewed him and his about his life and stuff. And um, you will see with the thing I learned about him through interviewing him that he turned out to be a intelligence expert and when i see what he was doing with us we're not really numbering him anymore but if you want to go back and find it it aired september 28th 2022 okay uh it it, um it was immediately evident to me that he had exquisite judgment with knowing where to put pressure where to how to how to motivate how to scare how to whatever and so i'm guessing you have a lot of those skills too Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just think that if you dump a bunch of people into the outdoors and just, like, watch them, then growth will, you know, but but it isn't. It is exactly that. Like, the whole time I'm looking at your eyes, I'm looking at your body, I'm looking at your body language, I'm looking at what happens when I put pressure here, what happens when I back off, What, what have people done your whole life? to get you into this pattern that I'm going to do the opposite of, you know what I mean? So so some people need a little bit more coaxing, but 
too much coaxing and then you're like you're money coddling them but then yeah. you have to like but if you push too hard you also can break them to the point there is no coming back so the yeah. whole time I'm out there and sometimes I can be with a group of kids for for seven days and say three sentences to them and at the end of it they've it's changed their life like uh, one sentence one word at the right time can be just the thing that like tips them over onto that that learning point well let me let me uh, tell you my own personal experience so so we were in our what's called the parade you're standing at attention and the staff is out there yelling at you and uh Ramey stepped forward and he goes uh, hey we told you to stand still I see a lot of uh, squirming around out there. We told you, and he screams, stand still, in a way that cut through my body. And I thought, oh, we are in. I'm totally in. Whatever he says next, I'm in. I'm doing it. And then he yeah. threw us into this plunge and made us roll in the sand and all these things. I'm like, I don't care. I'm doing it. And it yeah. was. it's funny how that moment, I don't know if the other ones, uh, any other people remember that moment. But for me, that was the one where I was like, I'm completely in now, completely in. And when yeah. you're in, there's a lot of interesting <laughs> things that happen. You know, you get you do things you don't think you can do, and you just you trust in a way you may not be able to trust before. And I think that's a big part of these experiences. My mm. my question would be because I think there's an extended adolescence going on right now, and that's part of the problem. And and so that's kind of what yeah, hundred percent yeah, and that's kind of what I would <laughs> want to address if you and I were to do something like this, like take a 26 year old or a 30 year old that still isn't growing up and get them to grow up. It shouldn't be that hard, but but my question is, and this is kind of a vague question and and probably not even not even framed properly, but. How sick can they be? In other words, you know, how much, you know, how do we determine? Because some of the sicker ones that are depressed and anxious and can't move on and stuff are really the ones that need it. So I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to determine what the criteria for for participation would be because I want the sick ones. You know. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think the beauty of the outdoors is you can put anyone in there. You know, I mean, and- but 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 I I have a per- if you and I were working together, I have a absolute um, obligation to do no harm, and, oh. and so so there can't 100%. even be a possibility of harm, and, and I'm trying to figure out where that line is. You know, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you mostly deal with ones that are not necessarily sick, but just sort of behavior issues. You know, well, I mean, one of my my proudest um, achievements in my life, and I've like achieved some big things for myself, is this beautiful girl called Jessie. Um, and Jessie was seventeen, and um, I mean, she won't mind me sharing her story. She shares it now, and she was suicidal, on drugs. Um, at the end of like, she didn't think she was going to get to eighteen, um, and. I got a note when she came to my course saying um, not to have her around sharp implements, oh boy. like nothing. Um, and considering, you know, we're doing outdoorsy stuff, of course there's knives everywhere. And, and I'm, I'm guessing no, like, no cliffs or any heights or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, like oh anything. Boy. Like couldn't leave her on her Jeez. own. Jeez, oh, my God. And I spent three days with Jessie. And By yourself? Now, just, just the two of you? No, in, no. A, in a group scenario. Okay. okay. And, you know, I picked my moment. And made my move, and now Jessie's um, the 
like we have a, a mental health program called Headspace in Australia, and she's the Australian junior rep for wow. for Heads Headspace. Wow. Amazing! That's the and stuff that she, keeps you going, right? It, oh, it gets you onto the yeah, it gets you onto the next one. It gives you hope for all of them. And yeah. I, and I know people, you know, in terms of picking your moment, I, the average person isn't going to really understand what that means because it kind of defies explanation. I know exactly what you mean. It's an mm. instinctive, intuitive thing. Having been yeah. with these patients or whatever for so long so many times your body tells you and you just go with it it's time mm. boom deliver this yeah. and you just do it and yeah. it's and if you've done it long enough and and uh, sort of trusted that intuition long enough you 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 won't be wrong it's it's amazing no. yeah yeah and i mean so you you also you know perhaps can't help everybody but i right. think we can bring everybody out and i think there's an opportunity to to you know, and whether you're looking at sick, like physically, mentally, all of the above, yeah. like I, I believe there's a place for everyone to get better in the outdoors. Yeah, and 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 again, my first uh, you know sort of obligation is not make them worse. And then once mm -hmm. you don't make them worse, I, if they're the same, fine. If they're better, well, now we've done it. So yeah. Well, listen, and, uh, we got to do something. We got to figure something out. And do something. <laughs> I, I don't know how much. How much are I you? Mean, over, how much are you over here? Uh, I mean, I've just gotten back from the States. I did uh, a book tour and then um, I have When the Grid Fails is obviously just come out as well and I've got, um, you know, I'm back and forth from the States. Where are you time, now? So. Where, where are you speaking to us from? I'm speaking from down by Melbourne. Okay. And it's what, 14 yeah. hours later there? You're, it's midnight or something? Um, it was 4 a.m. when we started talking. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. You know what? I, I get up early anyway. You know, that brain thing, everything's always uh, working. Well, enjoy your cold plunge today after I let you go because that, that's, what's gonna, that's what's going to wake you up. Yeah. Uh, I think we, we talked about everything I intended to talk about. Is there anything I missed? I mean, I just wanted to hit on a couple of times you were talking about limitations and things. Yeah. And a lot of people feel like, you know, you don't believe in me. Society puts this limitation on me. But the most, the, the thing that I've found, the person that puts the most limitations on us are ourselves. You know, and, and you said about the SAS experience, you went far more than you believed possible. And this is what the outdoors can do constantly. It's like... I've never reached a point where I've fallen down and cannot get back up again. And I've been constantly surprised. Like my question to myself all the time is, can I, can I take one more step? Can yeah. I do one more thing? Can I? And, and this is the beauty of these kind of experiences is we blow our limitations out of the water. So, I mean, that's what I get really excited about. So to that point, what I always do now, uh, I hear, the, the, you know, I'm sure you're in people's heads and my train, my staff is in my head. So when I'm doing exercises, I always think you can do one more. It's always one yeah. more. You can always do one 100%. more. And, and you always can. Now, I, I would also, though, argue the part of my experience was really, you know, because again, I was an athlete as a kid and super, you know, lifeguard and this kind of stuff. It is different as you age and you need, and it sneaks up on you. You have to, you have to come Absolutely. to terms with it and understand it and accept yeah. it. And I also noticed when I went out to do the SAS thing, I was kind of whiny, like, I'm getting old, I've got diverticulitis, I have prostate <laughs> cancer, blah, 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 blah. And really a lot of that was denial. I just wasn't accepting mm -hmm. it. And I was constantly fighting against it, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. It screwed up my joints and stuff. Like this oh, experience, yeah. I'm like, I, I know exactly where I am at. It's fine. I'm lucky to be as good as I am. But there, there right. you are. There it is. Yeah. 
hundred percent. When they obviously I can't fly, you know, like when I say I can, I can do it, you know, limitations. There are some some definitely physical barriers, but usually we stop far sooner than we yeah. need to. Well, when you're young, you can really. I mean, the, the recovery is amazing. You can really stress yourself, and 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 I and I think of myself like that. And you have to kind of adjust that sometimes as, mm. as you know time goes on or whatever comes in. All right. Well, listen. It has been a privilege to talk to you. Good luck with the book, and uh, hopefully, we will do something because I just think that this would be. We need to come up with some interesting twists and stuff that are sort of pertinent to the present moment because I I just mm-hmm. think this kind of thing is needed. Like it's it's an it's an important thing right now. You can follow Kai as I said, Kai Ferno K Y F U R N E A U X and KaiFerno dot com. Instagram at KaiFerno. Is there a Twitter also? I uh, same. Yep. Kai okay. Yeah. And uh, get the book when the grid fails. Also survive the all in one guide. Both are great. And uh, I need to I, I admonish myself constantly that I've got to do the things that are in these books, you know, get the equipment and stuff and get some things ready. And, you know, because I think about it a lot. I was reading just last night about, you know, punching out your car window if you go into a water, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you need equipment to do that properly. It's, it's not a big deal. Or You, you can, can use the headrest. There you go. I love it. Done and done. That's Problem. why you got to get the book. All right, Kai, thank you so much. And uh, for everyone else, we will see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. 